I want to just open up with just one verse. It's Psalm 25, verse 4. And it says, show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. With that in mind, let's, let's just have a word of prayer and commit our time to the Lord, and, and then we'll be reading some more verses as we go along. So, Father, we do thank you that um, in your sovereignty, God, you teach us every day. Like, every day is another experience that we can, can have in our lives and use it to um, bring honor and glory to you that we can uh, pass it on to others who might be going through some of the same things that we've experienced. And Lord, it's a privilege and an honor to be up here tonight. So God, guard my tongue. Help me to say the things that you've ordained me to say and that I will just share your word and your truth and be an encouragement and a blessing to those who are listening tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. I was sitting on, as I was preparing for this message, I was sitting at, in our apartment on this little table and I, I got my Bible out, I had my computer out and I, I, just, I just leaned back and I just closed my eyes and, and I was praying, God, you know, what should I share? What things should I bring out that would be an encouragement and a blessing to everyone here? And, and when I opened my eyes, on the wall in front of me was this verse says, show me your ways, O Lord, and teach me your paths. And so as I, as I thought about that, how appropriate for the times that we're living in, this day and age when, when the world is, is, is blasting us and the world is saying, no, you have to be like this. You need to be like this. You can't believe this. You have to, you have to understand this. And, and what a way, what a verse it says, show me your ways, O God, and teach me your paths. So I want to uh, share with you some lessons that I've learned as a husband of one, a father of four, and a, and a poppy, a grandfather of 10. And um, that's over these past 45 years. And now I did some math. If you add up all the years together, it's 239 years of experience in these things, if you add each person individually. So 45 years of marriage plus 43 years of my oldest son, 41 years, you add all those up, it's 239 years of experience as a father, a grandfather, and a husband. So that's a lot of years that God has, has taught me. And, and so Pastor Tim told me I could take as much time as I needed, on Saturday especially, because there's, no, there's not another service afterwards. And, and so I ordered, went ahead and ordered some pizzas for everybody tonight. They'll be delivered at about 7.30. And uh, no, I'm just teasing. But anyways, I have a lot of things that I want to say, so I want to get right into it. And if you were to ask me, what is one verse or a couple of verses that I can base my life on? What, what is the, the most important thing in the Bible? Well, I thought about that for a while, and, and I came up with this, these four verses, or six verses. It's in Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40. And this is why. Because if we can learn to live according to these verses, then we'll learn the heart of Jesus. And this is how he, he lived and how he expects us to live. So if you would, if you would stand and join me as I read these few verses, 
Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Amen. You may be seated. Going back to our, our key verse that, that says to show me your ways and, and teach me your path, Jesus taught us. Jesus taught us how we need to live and to treat each other's and by it, be an example and be teaching to others, be a teacher to others. I need to tell you a little bit of our story our, as, as, a, as a husband and wife and family um, to give you a little background where we're going. I was 21 years old, and Helen was 20 years old three weeks prior to our marriage. So she just left teenage years. We got married in Chicago in 1977. A year and a half later, in May, our first son was born, Tim, in Michigan. And a year and a half later, in December of 1980, our daughter, Kristen, was born in Wisconsin during our missionary training. She made her appearance in December, right after Christmas of that year. In 1982, we traveled to Thailand with number three in the hopper. Number three was born in Bangkok on, in November of 1982. We moved up to a small town of Mahongson and then into a village in 1983. And Tracy was born in that near, not in the village, but in that small town in 1984. Four kids under the age of six, living in a village with no running water, no electricity, no roads, it wasn't always easy, especially during rainy season when the trail was slippery and, and you couldn't hardly even ride your motorcycle in and out. Most of it was walking. We lived among a tribal group called the Red Karin, and, and Karin means people, and they were the red people. We had the white Karin, the black Karin, the Ska Karin, the Po Karin, and it all just means something people. And our Karen people, they wore red outfits in the old days. That's how they could distinguish a red Karen from a white Karen. That became our home for over nine years in that village. And we had the privilege of having a, a front row seat to some pretty amazing things that God, God was doing, establishing a church. And, and, but as dealing with this message today, I think one of the best things is God was teaching me. God was raising a family, and, and, and I, he taught me so many things through that time. One of the amazing things was God just making us into a family. That was, that was the huge thing. We had some really, really, I could tell you story after story, some really amazing things, fun things that we did as a family. The villagers thought we were the craziest people on earth 
Because here we had this nice house right here, but yet we were going and camping in this broken down shack that was down the trail just to get away for the night. They thought we were crazy. We had some fun times, but there were some, also some tough times. One evening, our daughter Kristen, she was about five years old. She fell off the swing and broke her arm. I heard this blood-curdling scream. Helen was fixing dinner. I ran out and to see uh, she was laying on the ground and her arm was going like this. And so I, I sort of picked her up and, and I sort of grabbed the arm a little bit and it went back into place, came in the house and we couldn't go to town. We could not go to town because we didn't have a motorcycle for one thing at that time. Taxis, transportation was like nil at that time of day. Everybody's at home. We had to wait until eight o'clock the next morning to catch a, a taxi into town. We had to walk five kilometers to the main road and then catch a bus into town. Those are some tough times. We also had to deal with, with, with snakes, rats, big cockroaches, lizards, all in our house, <laughs> all living with us. On top of that, we, there were some marital issues, health concerns, challenges with our kids that we had to deal with. But overall, by God's grace, we were able to work through those things and see him, we come out victorious on the other side. That's the amazing thing. So today, I want to uh, mention 10 things. So if you're going to take notes, make sure you write small because there's not much room on those papers. Write small because I have 10 things that I want to share with you of what God has been teaching me as a father and a husband. I'm keeping it to 10 only as otherwise it would go till nine tonight. All right, number one. Overall, overall, the, the overarching thing is, is our relationship with God is over everything, okay? So I'm not diminishing that. That is the number one thing in our life. But after that, after my relationship with God, my family is my number one priority. My family. In the, my, one of my favorite books is the book of Ephesians. I love teaching the book of Ephesians. It's broken up into two parts. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 deal with who I am in Christ, that I have been predestined to be conformed to his image, that I am seated in the heavenly places, and I have a guarantee to the Holy Spirit in me. Those first three chapters are amazing and so encouraging to find out who we are in Christ. But then chapters 4, 5, and 6, now that you know who you are in Christ, now, here's how I want you to live. I want you to see the, the, the sequence of this. In chapters, uh, chapter 5, starting verse 22, Paul deals with the husband and wife relationship, doesn't he? Talks about wives submit yourselves to your husband. Husbands, love your wives as you love yourself. All those verses. Then in chapter 6, the beginning of chapter 6, he's talking about the parent-child relationship. Parent-child relationship, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, this is good, this is give you long life on this earth. And then finally, in verse 5, he talks about our jobs. Servants, obey your masters in the Lord, and, and if you're a master, be good to those who serve you. You notice the sequence. God doesn't make mistakes. When he put it in this order, it's for a reason, that when I, when I began to put my ministry ahead of my family, this is one lesson I had to learn the hard way. 
when I began, I was gone all the time, teaching in other villages and different things. I would come home on, on Wednesday, and, and I'd be there for a couple days, and then we'd, I'd take off again and walk, walk to another village and teach. My family was suffering. My family, I wasn't nurturing my family like I, need, I should have. Now, if I could do that over again, I would do things differently. If I would know then what I know now, it would have been different. I would have still gone to those villages, but I would have not gone as long. I would have been focused more on my family. So when we begin to put our work ahead of our family, that's when, that's when things begin to go awry. Because as, as a husband, as a father, it's my responsibility. It's what it says in Ephesians. Read it. That I am responsible for my wife. I am responsible for my children to not exacerbate them. That was the first thing that I learned, which leads into the set number two. Number two is to be the best example that I can be to my kids. How? By loving my wife. I was listening to a, a, a sermon the other day on, online, and, and the, the pastor that was talking, he was raising his, his teenage son, and he dropped them off, and the son walked the girlfriend to the door, and he came back in the car, and he said, son... Did you kiss her? Dad, I'm not going to tell you that. <laughs> Son, kissing is, he, said, he was going on and on about this. And he says, you know what? I'm going to teach you how to kiss a girl. And he did. And I laughed because I do that same kind of crazy things with my own kids. And I thought, oh, there's another crazy person around here that does that kind of stuff. But the way that I do that is by loving my wife. I come up to her at times and, and, and give her a hug, give her a kiss, among other things. And, and my kids see that. Dad, come on, stop it. Come on. I don't need to see that. Yeah, you do. You need to learn by example of how to treat a woman, how to love your wife. That's point number two. Point number three is to confess and ask for forgiveness. This was tough for me. Because I come from a family that did not ask for forgiveness, that did not confess their sins one to another. Confess your sins, as it says in James 5, 16, it says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And many of you, fathers, mothers, or anybody for that matter, we all have offended Somebody, right? Huh? Is there anyone that has never offended anyone? Anyone? Never offended anyone, okay? You just offended me because you just lied. <laughs> we all have done it. We've all said things that we regret. We've all done things that we said, you know what? I wish I had that back again and do something different. But to be a man, to be a woman, to be a person of God means... Let's confess that and deal with it and help them to learn how to deal with it, especially our kids, that they see me confessing to my wife that I offended her. Apologize. Don't just apologize and say, I'm sorry. No. Apologize and say, can you forgive me for the way I talked to you, to the way I responded to you, for the fact that I was angry when I spanked you. That's, that was not right. 
And I have to confess that and deal with that. That goes a long, long way in, in helping our kids and others to see the humble life being lived out before them. And it's something that they can pattern their lives after. It's something that they can look at and say, wow, Dad, that was... Yeah, I had to learn that the hard way. These are all lessons that I had to learn the hard way. Number four, this is an important one, is to be the same person at home as you are outside the home. That people see on Sundays at church and they see at at work the nice guy that's always smiling. Be the same at home. I think... The biggest compliment I have ever been given, I think Lee and T- Tish were at that, my 60th birthday party, Helen surprised me. I had no idea what was going on. In fact, it was like three weeks before my birthday. And uh, there were about 60 people at, in the church basement up at March Street. And my kids all flew in from all over where they were from. And one by one, they all got up and said something about me. It was embarrassing because they told some embarrassing stories, but also one of my boys said, he said to the people, he said, you know, the guy that you see here on Sundays, this guy you see here at church is the same guy, same dad that we saw at home. I was blown away because I know how many mistakes, I know I've made mistakes. I know I've done many mistakes as a father. Yeah, for him to say that was humbling and honoring. I just felt like, wow, all that hard work was worth it. All that was, was worth it for them to say that, same, that, that, that thing about me. So in Colossians, Paul in his prayer to Colossae, in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 14, if you get a chance, read that prayer. It's amazing. I'm only going to read verses 10 and 11. He says, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. You know, we all need to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Our kids need to see that. Our neighbors, our friends need to see that. Our unsaved people that we can sometimes let loose and, and, and begin to uh, tell the dirty jokes or, or do things that are, are compromising the grace of God. We can find ourselves slipping into that. But he says, walk in a worthy that is pleasing to the Lord according to his glorious might with all patience. So it's especially hard for us as, as parents when we come home and, and we've had a rough day at work. Maybe we had a, a job that was just demanding and just a pressure and, and all these things. We just want to relax, take it easy. But the kids have baseball. Or they've got piano lessons. Or there's a Bible study that you're going to go to that you have to prepare for. There's all these things after work that you have to do. So who do we take our frustrations out on? 
our family, unfortunately. We take it out on our family, and, and it, it's very hard, hard to do. But he says to do that, to, to live with the power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience in joy. We need patience when we get home especially. Number five, a big one for me is, is to serve God together. What drew me to come to Cornerstone back in 2007 to be on staff here was the fact that Cornerstone was becoming a church without walls is what, how, what we looked. Getting out into our community and, and serving in our community, that's when Riverside really went on, uh, got going really well. That's when we started going to nursing homes, into the prisons and, and, and different things that we did as a church. Don't lose sight of that. The best way that we can raise our kids to love and honor and serve God is to take them with us. You know, Rich Schroeder's taken a, a group of, of, of people down to West Virginia, North Carolina in October. If you can at all get that time and, and take some kids with you, take, find some youths, talk to Pastor Kyle and see if there's anybody that, that you could take along with you that, that could be a part of that. To have just a time together with young and old, serving God and, and being a part of, of a mission trip. The bike tour next summer, I love it when, when parents and children come on the bike tour together. As we plan these routes, we try to keep that in mind and encourage families to come on these tours. Also, there's a, there's a, a, a possibility that we may be able to go to Ghana next summer. Still working on that one. We'd love to take some people to Ghana and help Daniel Sapor out there and, and in the ministry he's got. So serve the Lord together. Get out and, and serve in the streets. Get out and, and invite neighbors over and, and allow your children to hear you sharing the gospel with your neighbors. Man, what an amazing opportunity that is. Number six, you've heard the saying, when a family prays together, stays together. And this is... We've tried to make this a practice with our kids as we, as we lived our, our life before our kids. Every night before they would go to bed, we would spend time praying with them. We prayed with them at meals. But more than that, the most important thing is to be ready to pray in season and out of season for the hope that is in us. That, that when we hear that somebody was just in a car accident, when we heard that somebody was sick, when we heard there's a need, that there's a, they're ready to go to school and they have a big test that day, stop right then and pray for them. If I say, oh, I'm going to pray for you, how many of us have done this? All hands should go up. I'm going to pray for you. Well, then we leave and we forget all about it. We've all done that. We've all done that. So instead, just right where you're at. I, I prayed with the... A couple the other day that uh, he was suffering from cancer, right in the middle of the Milford Bridge, going across from Pennsylvania to New Jersey, just stopped right there on the sidewalk and prayed for them. That's the time to pray is when, you, when the need is at the moment. That's, that's an amazing thing. Number seven is to uh, spend time with our kids. Spend time with them. Now, I'm not saying watch TV or go to their ball games. Those are important. Those are nice things. But make it a practice to date your kids, to take 
to do something with them individually. So what an opportunity that gives us for conversation, for uh, instruction, and for a time together talking about different subjects. What are their dreams, their aspirations? What are, you know, if they're young, all the way through high school, I made it a practice to, if I had to go to town for something when I was in the village, I would take one of the kids with me. We'd make it a special date night. We had nice clothes in town. We'd put our good clothes on and we'd go out to a restaurant and just sit and talk. Made it a practice. I still do that now with my grandkids. It's, it's, a, it's a blessing and a, and a way for us to have input into our kids. Number eight, tell your kids that you love them. Neither Helen or I grew up in a home that this was practiced. Very rarely, I, I, I did not hear my, my dad say I love you un, until years later when he was in his, his upper 60s. And, um, but growing up, my mom would tell us she loved her, but, but Helen, the same thing, didn't experience that. They, they showed their love other ways. But we said, you know, we don't want to raise our kids that way. We want our kids to know that we love them beyond anything. And, and as we go into the next point, um, we, we would tell them. So it, when I had to spank them for something they did, I wouldn't try to talk to them before the spanking because they're all geared up. They're getting tight buns and everything, just anticipating that paddle. And they're not thinking about what they did wrong. They're thinking about how much this is going to hurt. So I'd paddle them first and then just hold them in my lap and let them cry, let them work through this, and the whole time just talking softly to them. You know I love you. you know, and, and, and I would explain why they had to get to spanking and all things like that. But just allowing them the way to experience love of a father. And they have come back. The kids have come back to me later in, when they're in their 40s now. And they said, thank you for the way that you disciplined us because we knew you loved us. And they said most of the time we deserved it. But there were a few times that I spanked them unknowingly that it, they weren't the guilty party. I've done that uh, yeah, to my shame. But, uh, but I go back and I have to apologize and try to do better next time. Number nine is probably one of the toughest ones I, I had to learn. What about a prodigal child? What about somebody that has, uh, has just gone away from the Lord and rejected him? I have missionary friends, pastor friends, and, and other friends who, whose children have gone and, and have now joined an alternative lifestyle. I have pastors, friends, missionary friends, and, and other people whose child has gone off and they've moved in with their, with their girlfriend or their boyfriend out of marriage, out of wedlock. It's, it, it's just, you see this all the time, so what do you do with that? How do you just say, I'm done, I'm done with them, you know, you're on your own now. How do you treat them? First of all, never stop praying for them. Secondly, Never stop loving them. When you walk away from the Lord, when you've, when you've blown it royally with the Lord, does he say, I'm done with you, I'm, I, I'm, I'm washing my hands of this? No. He woos us back to himself. So as we went through this with our children, we just continued to love them. We didn't agree with the sin. We didn't condone it, what they were doing. 
but yet we reiterated our love for them over and over. And we tried to be there when they needed something, when they, when they had problems they wanted to talk about. We were there. And it, it, that's, we can't be held responsible for our kids going wayward. They have that choice within them to choose to reject Christ. But when they do reject Christ, we don't reject them because God doesn't reject them. And we pray for them and continue to love them. And finally, the greatest desire as a parent, the greatest thing that, that I can say brings joy to my life is in 3 John verses 3 and 4. It says, For I rejoice greatly when the brothers come and testify to your truth, as indeed you are walking in truth. This verse here, for I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. Man, what that does to a father, to a mother's heart, we're realizing that, that all that hard work, that, that discipline, the, the loving and, and, and love, just being their parent meant to them, meant to, for their relationship to God. And to come back, you know, what, in, in truth, I don't care if my, my kids wanted to become a garbage collector, wanted to become an executive, wanted to become an artist, whatever. That wasn't the important thing. The important thing is that they were walking with God and allow God to lead them where he wanted them. And so I ask these questions to them when they want to pursue a career. I ask them, help them to walk through and see what their spiritual gifts are. What does, how has God impassioned them? And so as we go on here, it says, what do you think God wants you to become? What do you think God wants you to do? Or in this direction that you're going, can you use this as your mission field? Can you have, do you have opportunities to, to share the gospel with others? How can you best bring glory to God in your life? Now, God is sovereign. God is sovereign and there's, there's nothing. There's no, you, your kids are not going to make a mistake if they're walking with him. And we're, we're teaching them to walk with him. He'll direct them in the way that they should go. Well, we've looked at 10 lessons need to bring this to a close that I've learned over these 45 years as a husband and 43 years of raising kids I'm still still learning I'm still far from perfect I still blow it many times I won't become perfect until I stand in glory one day I'm looking forward to that the older I get the closer I'm getting to glory right but I praise the Lord for the way that he has grown me up and allowed me to be an eyewitness of his working in the lives, in my life, life wife, my wife's life, and in the lives of our kids and grandkids. So my, my challenge to you today is, no matter what, what stage of life you're in, you might not be a parent yet, you might not even be married yet. You might not be a parent yet. You might have young children. You might have teens. Or you might be in your later stage of life with grandkids. It's never too late 
to start allowing God to lead you and guide you and allow you the privilege of having input because we realize that time is getting short. God's coming back. We can see this world is changing. And we don't want to have just a little impact in our kids' lives. We want to have a profound impact in their lives for the glory of God. One thing in, in, in closing that I wanted to share with you today, how we can begin that. I don't know what, what, if you heard it or not, but in Allentown, the city council is, is um, looking to pass a bill. Bill 61, it is. What that will do is to Bright Hope, the House of Hope, and any other organization that is, that is pro-life will be doing, having a felony if they post things on the internet or have commercials or anything like that. It's going to ban anyone because, they're, they're the, because of the Roe v. Wade overturning things that they have just ramped up their, their agenda against anything that is holy and right and good. So if you do not have abortion in your doctrine as, as the main philosophy, then, then you're going to be banned from advertising and things like that. And so we need our churches to stand up, to speak up against that. Helen already wrote a letter to the city council in Allentown telling them not to pass that bill. You can get on uh, Bright Hope's website. They have all the information on there that you can, you can look that up and write a letter and be a help. And have your, have your families around you when you're doing that so they know where you stand, that we are for life. And we are praising God for the fact that, that I was born, that you were born, that our parents didn't choose an abortion. Amen? So as we, as we bring this to a close, and if there's anyone who would like to pray about these kind of things, about your, your family. Helen and I are going to be down here in front, and any of our elders or deacons that are here, I don't know if anybody's here, but we would love to pray with you afterwards. So um, I'm going to turn it back over to the worship team after I pray and um, have a song before we close. Father, thank you for just the things that you taught us. God, the things that you have for us in our lives. And for the way you teach us, God, that, that no lesson, no, no trial that we go through is, is for naught, that we can, you can use it in the lives of other people. So we commit ourselves to you, and we love you, Lord, and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.